the newly discovered coronavirus had only killed a few dozen people when Felix Chang started looking for a treatment. He knew time was of essence. Chang, a data analysis at the Cleveland Clinic, had seen similar coronaviruses tear through China and Saudi Arabia before, sickening thousands and shaking the global economy. So in January, his lab used artificial intelligence to search for hidden clues in the structure of the virus to predict how it invaded human cells and what might stop it. One observation stood out. The virus could potentially be blocked by melatonin. Melatonin, best known as the sleep hormone, wasn't an obvious factor in halting the pandemic. Its most familiar role is the regulation of our circadian rhythms. Each night as darkness falls, it shoots out of our brains, penile glands, and into our blood, introducing sleep. Jang took the finding as a curiosity. It was very preliminary, he told me recently, a small study in the early days before COVID-19 even had a name, when anything that might help was deemed worth sharing. After he published his research, though, Chang heard from scientists around the world who thought that there might be something to it. They noted that in addition to melatonin's well-known effect on sleep, it plays a part in calibrating the immune system. Essentially, it acts as a, mo a moderator to help keep our self-protective responses from going haywire, which happens to be the basic problem that can quickly turn a mild case of COVID-19 into a life-threatening scenario. Chang decided to dig deeper. For months, he and his colleague pierced together the data from thousands of patients who were seen at his medical center. In results published last month, melatonin continued to stand out. People taking it had significantly lower odds of developing COVID-19, much less dying of it. Other researchers noticed similar patterns. In October, a study at Columbia University found that intubated patients, intubated patients had better rates of survival if they received melatonin. When President Donald Trump was flown to Walter Reed National Military Medical Center for COVID-19 treatment, his doctor prescribed, in addition to a plethora of other experimental therapies, melatonin. Eight clinical trials are currently going on around the world to see if these melatonin correlations bear out. Few other treatments are receiving so much research attention. If melatonin actually proves to help people, it would be the cheapest and most readily accessible medicine to counter COVID-19. Unlike experimental drugs such as Remdesivir and antibody cocktails, melatonin is widely available in the United States and Canada as an over-the-counter dietary supplement. People could start taking it immediately. Yet Chang emphasizes that he's not recommending this. Like any substance capable of slowing the central nervous system, melatonin is not a trifling addition to the body's chemistry. Its apparent benefit to COVID-19 patients would simply be a supercorrelation or perhaps a signal altering us to 
something else that is actually improving people's outcomes. Chang thinks that this might be the case. He and others suggest that the real issue at play may not be melatonin at all, but the function it most famously controls, which is sleep. In fact, several mysteries of COVID-19 works coverage on the question of how the disease affects our sleep and how our sleep affects the disease. The virus is capable of altering the delicate process within our nervous system, in many cases in unpredictable ways, sometimes creating long-term symptoms, better appreciating the ties between immunity and the nervous system could be central to understanding COVID-19 and to preventing it. Although the pandemic, throughout the pandemic, the Department of Neurology at John Hopkins University has been flooded with the consolation requests for people suffering from insomnia. Rachel Salas, one of the team's neurologists, says that she initially thought this surge and sleep disorder was really a result of all the anxieties that come with a devastating global crisis, worries about health and economic impact and isolation. Indeed, patterns of sleep disruption have played out around the world. Roughly three-quarters of the people in the United Kingdom have had a change in their sleep during the pandemic, according to the British Sleep Society. And less than half are getting refreshing sleep in the summer, we're calling it COVID somnia. The recent months, however, Salas has watched a more curious pattern emerge. People's sleep continues to be disrupted by predictable pandemic anxieties, but more perplexing symptoms have been arising specifically among people who have recovered from COVID-19. We're seeing referrals from doctors because the disease itself affects the nervous system. She says, after recovering, people report changes in attention, deliberating headaches, brain fog, muscular weakness, and perhaps most commonly, insomnia. Many don't seem anxious or preoccupied with pandemic-related concerns, at least not to a degree that could be self-explained in their newfound inability to sleep. Rather, it's sometimes part of what the medical community has begun to refer as long COVID, where symptoms persist indefinitely after the virus has left a person. Where it comes to sleep disturbances, Salas worries, I expect this is just the beginning of long-term effects we're going to see for years to come. Her colleague, Arun Venkantesin, Ben Katassian has been trying to get to the bloom to the bloom. Let me try that again. Her colleague Arun Venteskin has been trying to get to the bottom of how a virus could cause insomnia. He focuses specifically on autoimmune and inflammatory diseases that affect the nervous system. Initially, he said the common assumption among doctors was that many post-COVID symptoms were due to an autoimmune reaction, a misguided, targeted attack on the, on the cells of one's own body. 
This can happen in the nervous system after infections by various viruses in predictable patterns such as that of the the Golian bear syndrome. In the days after the infection, a new antibody mistakenly attacks nerves, weakness and numbness spread from the tips of the extremities inward. Disconcerting it as it can be disconcerting as it can be, this type of pattern is at least in Definable and predictable, identifiable and predictable. Doctors can tell patients what they're dealing with and what to expect. By contrast, the post-COVID-19 patterns are sporadic, not clearly autoimmune in nature. The symptoms can appear even after a mild case of COVID-19 and the time scales vary. We've seen a number of patients who were not even hospitalized and felt much better for weeks before worsening. And the findings are limited to the brain. The Northwestern University of Radiology has been fielding a steady stream of cases in which people experienced nerve damage throughout the body. She has been looking for evidence that the virus itself might be killing nerve cells. Hepatitis C and herpes viruses unknown to do so as well. And autopsies have found SARS and COV2 inside the nerves of the brain. She believes, still she believes symptoms are most likely due to inflammation. Indeed, the leading theory to explain how a virus can cause such wide variety of neurological symptoms over a variety of timescales comes down to a haphazard inflammation less a targeted attack than an indiscriminative brawl. This effect has seen in a condition known as myalgic Oh, hold on one sec. Okay, just had to figure out a little bit of this this medical term myalgic encephalomyelitis which is an inflammation of the brain and the spinal cord. So this effect is seen in the condition, sometimes called chronic fatigue syndrome. The diagnosis encompasses myriad potential symptoms and likely involves multiple types of cellular injury or miscommunication. In some cases, damage comes from prolonged low-level oxygen dep- deprivation, as after severe pneumonia. <laughs> In others, the damage to nerve cells communication could come by way of inflammatory processes that directly tweak the functioning of our natural of our neural grids. The unpredictability of this disease process how and how widely it will play out in the long term and what to do about it possesses unique challenges in this already uncertain pandemic. Myalgic encephalomyelitis is poorly understood and stigmatized and widely misrepresented. Medical treatments and diagnostic approaches are unreliable. General inflammatory states rarely respond to a signal prescription or procedure but demand a more holistic ongoing interventions to bring the immune system back to equilibrium and keep it there. The medical system is not geared towards such approaches, but this understanding of what is happening also 
may also offer some hope. Although the technical de details are not clearly thorny, there is some reassurance in, in what doctors are not seeing. When nerves are invaded and killed, the damage can be permanent. When nerves are miscommunicating in ways that come and go, the process can be treated and modulated, prevented and quite possibly cured. Although sleep cycles can be disrupted and disturbed and damaged by post-infection inflammatory processes, radiologists and neurologists aren't seeing evidence that this is irreversible. And among the arsenal of ways to attempt to reverse it are basic measures such as sleep itself. Adequate sleep also plays a part in minimizing the likelihood of ever entering into this whole nasty uncertain process. A central function of sleep is maintaining proper channels of cellular communication in the brain. Sleep is sometimes linked to a short a sort linked to a sort of anti inflammatory cleansing process. It removes waste products that accumulate during the day of of firing. Without sleep, those byproducts accumulate and impair communication. Just as it's as seems to be happening in some of the people with post COVID nineteen in 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 the we're gonna just gonna call this E M E because that word is atrocious. In the early stages of COVID nineteen you feel extremely tired, says Michelle Miller a sleep medicine professor at the University of Warwick in the UK. Essentially, your body is telling you it needs sleep. But as the infection goes on, people find that they often can't sleep, and the problem with communication compounds one another. The goal, then, is breaking out of this cycle, preventing it altogether. Here are the benefits of, of sleep extended throughout the body. Sleep is important for an effective immune function, and it also helps regulate met the met metabolism, including glucose and mechanisms controlling appetite and weight gain. All of these bear directly on COVID-19. As factors for severe cases include as risk factors for severe cases include <clears throat> diabetes, obesity, and sleep apnea. Even in short term, getting enough deep, slow-wave sleep will optimize your metabolism and make you maximally prepared should you fall ill. These effects may even bear on vaccination. Flu shots appear to be more effective among people who have slept well in the days preceding to getting one. <clears throat> All of this leads back to the basic question, though. Is one of the most glaring omissions of public health guidelines right now simply to tell people to get more sleep? The only health advice more banal than being told to wash your hands is being told to sleep more, but it's a cliché for a reason. Sleep fortifies and prepares us for any given crisis, but especially when the days are short and cold and people have less little else they might do to empower and protect themselves. Mountainous days can slip people into a brush of depression and alcohol abuse in a manner of supplemental health, drug addiction and, and 
violence. It may well turn out that the standard pandemic advice should be to wear a mask, keep distances, and get good sleep. That's easier said than done, though. Ashman Sahar, a psychiatric and behavioral sciences professional at the Baylor College of Medicine, believes sleep is at the core of many of the mental health issues that have spiked over the course of this last year. There's a complete lack of structure that has caused a huge disturbance in sleep cycles. Usually everyone has a cycle and a schedule. They get sunlight and they generate melatonin and it puts them to sleep. Right now we're seeing people losing interest in things, isolating, not exercising, and then not getting sleep. <clears throat> Depression anxiety make insomnia worse and the cycle degenerates. This may be where melatonin or other approaches to enhancing or potent effects of sleep could be consequential. Hello, Fief. It's my friend Fief here. She's my research study. Hi, Fief. Um, Russell Ritt here. A psych cell biology professor at the University of Texas in San Antonio is convinced that widespread treatment of COVID-19 with melatonin should already be a standard practice. In May, Ritchie and colleagues published a plea for melatonin to be immediately given to anyone with COVID-19. I know, they're talking about more sleep. It's crazy, isn't it? In a world of melatonin research... If the world of, mel of melatonin research had one molten core, it would be Dr. Reiter. He has been studying the hormones' potential health benefits since the 1960s. When I emailed him, he told me he takes 70 milligrams daily. Most bottles at the pharmacy recommend from 1 to 10 milligrams. After we spoke, he sent me some of the m many journal articles he has published on melatonin and COVID-19, at least four of which appeared in the melatonin research. He blithely referred to them as propaganda and noted that he has been studying melatonin since before I was even born, without even asking me when that was, of course. I know melatonin sideways and backwards, writer said, and I'm very confident in recommending it. The majority of sleep scientists, though, seem to agree that the most crucial interventions to that facilitate sleep will not be med medicinal or even supplemental. The general recommendation is that getting the, your body's melatonin cycles to work regularly is preferable to simply taking a supplement and continuing to binge Netflix and stare at your phone in bed. Now that so many people's days lack structure, they believe a key to healthy pandemic sleep is to deliberately build routines. On weekends, wake up and go to bed at the same time as you do other days. Take scheduled walks, get sunlight in the early day. Reduce blue light for an hour before bed. Stay connected with other people in meaningful ways despite being physically distant. We're going to look into that blue light factor because that's really crazy hard too that... They want you to reduce blue light for, before bed. Oh, what's up with the blue light? 
um, this, even small daily rituals can help. Tricia Hursery, the founder of a NAP advocacy organization called the NAP Ministry, light a candle. She said, have a cup of tea in a specific place at a specific time. Repetitive rituals are part of what makes us human and grounds ourselves, she told me. They're also perhaps the most attainable intervention there is. She also replied to my email and told me, wherever you are, you can daydream. You can slow down. You can find small ways to stop and remember who you are, which is very important. She explained, feeling in control of a sleep is important precisely because order is lacking in so many other parts of our life for so many people. Year over year, there are significant sleep disparities across the US population and the Canadian population. The amount of quality of sleep we get depends on our environment as much as if not for more than our personal behavior. The socioeconomic status and quality sleep charts on parallel lines, the most effective way to improve sleep is to ensure that people have a calm and quiet place to rest each night. Free of concerns about basic needs such as food and security. The pandemic has brought the opposite assurances, exasperating the uncertainties at the root of already stark disparities. As the quest for sleep falls only more to individuals, many are left to think outside the box. That has included for some dabbling in hypothesis. Not the kind of hypothesis when you're on stage and told to act like a chicken. I said that wrong. <laughs> this has included with some dabbling in hypnosis. <laughs> Not the kind of hypnosis you when you're on stage and told to act like a chicken, but a process slightly more refined. Christopher Fitton is one of a number of hypnotherapists who have spent the pandemic creating YouTube videos and podcasts mean, meant to help people go to sleep. Fitton sessions involve 30 minutes of him saying empowering things to listeners in his pleasant, semi-whispered voice. When I emailed him, he told me he is now getting more than 100 listens a month. Mm. Not 100. I don't know what I'm talking about. When he <laughs> emailed me, he told me he's getting more than 1 million listens per month. Hypnotherapy is meant to slow down the rapid firing of our nerves. Similar to guided meditation or deep breathing. The intent is not to stop people from overthinking and allows sleep to happen naturally. As you listen to Fitton saying banal things about the muscles in your back or asking you to envision a specific tree or a specific place, the aim is to just get into a relaxed, trance-like state where your subconscious is more open to suggestion. He says, uh, then he will, then when he tells you to sleep, your brain is less likely to argue with him about how you're too busy or how you need to worry about more about why someone read your text message and did not reply. 
Hypnotherapists such as Fitton provide tools to ground yourself, ultimately in pursuit of being able to do it unassisted. Sans the internet. It's better not to bring your phone into your bedroom anyway. Focusing involves practice and the chance-like state rarely happens easily. And no single way works for everyone. Some experimentation is usually needed. Apparently, it still is for me because I am not a sleeper. I recently listened to one of Fitton's recordings and I couldn't fully escape the image of him in his home office speaking softly into his microphone, reading an ad for Spotify, just as everyone else does. But I guess regardless of whom you trust to help relieve your consciousness, now seems like an ideal time to get serious about the practice. Draw boundaries for yourself and sleep like your life depends on it. And hopefully it won't. Well, I'd like to thank James Hamlin, MD, uh, who is a lecturer at the Yale School of Public Health, co-host of Social Distance, and author of Clean, The New Science of Skin. We'd also like to thank Dr. Writer, Dr. Aaron Van Kluisken, Dr. Salas, and Dr. Cheng. I'm going to play you now a um, YouTube video from Dr. Fitton. So maybe just get comfy and close your eyes. This is from YouTube. It's called The Sleep Cove with Christopher Fitton. This bedtime story consists of the first three stories from The Children of Odin, the Book of Northern Myths. This includes Far Away and Long Ago, the building of the wall and Aduna and her apples. There's a disclaimer here that says, please do not watch or listen to any hypnotherapy, including this video, whilst driving or operating heavy machinery. Ensure you listen to this recording in a location where you can safely, safely sleep. All content by Christopher Fitton does not provide or replace professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your medical professional, professional before making any changes to your treatment. And if in any doubt, contact your doctor. Christopher Fitton is not responsible or liable for any loss, damage or injury arising from the use of this content. How Loki put the gods in danger. I've really enjoyed reading these stories so far. And I will read all of them at some point. If you prefer your bedtime stories without music, there will be a version on the channel as well as the link pinned in the comments to that recording. 
please do not listen to any sleep recording whilst driving or operating heavy machinery. Please listen in a place where you can safely go to sleep. And let's begin. The Children of Odin, the Book of Northern Myths by Patrick Colum. Part 1. The Dwellers in Asgard. Far away and long ago. Once there was another sun and another moon. A different sun and different moon from the ones we see now. Sol was the name of that sun and Mani was the name of that moon. But always behind Sol and Mani wolves went. A wolf behind each. The wolves caught on them at last and they devoured Sol and Mani. And then the world was in darkness and cold. In those times the gods lived. Odin and Thor and Hador and Baldur and Ty and Heimdall, Vidar and Vali, as well as Loki, the doer of good and the doer of evil. And the beautiful goddesses were living then, Frigga, Freya, Nana, Iduna and Sif. But in the days when the sun and moon were destroyed, the gods were destroyed too. All the gods except Baldur, who had died before that time. Vidal and Vali, the sons of Odin, and Modi and Magni, the sons of Thor. At that time too were men and women in the world. But before the sun and moon were devoured, and before the gods were destroyed, terrible things happened in the world. Snow fell on all four corners of the earth, and kept on falling for three seasons. Winds came and blew everything away. And the people of the world who had lived on in spite of the snow and the cold and the winds fought each other, brother killing brother, until all the people were destroyed. Also, there was another earth at that time, an earth green and beautiful, but the terrible winds that blew leveled down forests and hills and dwellings. Then a fire came and burnt the earth. There was darkness, for the sun and the moon were devoured. The gods had met their doom. And the time in which all these things happened was called Ragnarok, the twilight of the gods. Then a new moon and a new sun appeared and went travelling through the heavens. They were more lovely than soul and money, and no wolves followed.
behind them in chase. The earth became green and beautiful again, and in a deep forest that the fire had not burnt, a woman and a man wakened up. They had been hidden there by Odin and left asleep during Ragnarok, the twilight of the gods. Lith was the woman's name, and Lithrasur was the man's. They moved through the world, and their children and their children's children made people for the new earth, and of the gods that left Vidar and Vali, the sons of Odin, and Modi and Magni, the sons of Thor, on the new earth, Vidal and Vali found tablets that the older gods had written on and had left them for them. Tablets telling of all that had happened before Ragnarok, the twilight of the gods, and the people who lived after Ragnarok, the twilight of the gods, were not troubled, as the people in the older days were troubled by the terrible beings who had brought destruction upon the world, upon men and women, and who from the beginning had waged war upon the gods. The Building of the Wall Always there had been war between the giants and gods between the giants who would have destroyed the world and the race of men, and the gods who would have protected the race of men and would have made the world more beautiful. There are many stories to be told about the gods, but the first one that should be told is the one about the building of their city. The gods had made their way up to the top of a high mountain, and there they decided to build a great city for themselves that the giants could never overthrow. The city they would call Asgard, which means the place of the gods, that would be built on a beautiful plain that was on top of that high mountain and they wanted to raise round their city the highest and strongest wall that had ever been built. Now one day when they were beginning to build their halls and their palaces a strange being came to them. Odin, the father of the gods went and spoke to him. What dost thou want on the mountain of the gods? He asked the stranger. I know what is in the minds of the gods, the stranger said. They would build a city here. I cannot build palaces, but I can build great walls that never can be overthrown. Let me build the wall round your city. 
How long will it take you to build a wall? That will go round our city, said the father of the gods. A year, O Odin, said the stranger. Now Odin knew that if a great wall could be built around it, the gods would not have to spend all their time defending their city, Asgard, from the giants. And he knew that if Asgard was protected, he himself could go amongst men and teach them and help them. He thought that no payment the stranger could ask would be too much for the building of that wall. That day the stranger came to the council of the gods, and he swore that in a year he would have the great wall built. Then Odin made oath that the gods would give him what he asked in payment if the wall was finished to the last stone in a year from that day. The stranger went away and came back on the morrow. It was the first day of summer when he started work. He brought no one to help him except a great horse. Now the gods thought that this horse would do no more and drag blocks of stone for the building of the wall. But the horse did more than this. He set the stones in their places and mortared them together. And day and night, by light and dark, the horse worked, and soon a great wall was rising round the palaces that the gods themselves were building. What reward will the stranger ask for, for the work he is doing? The gods asked one another. Odin went to the stranger. We marvel at the work you and your horse are doing for us, he said. No one can doubt that the great wall of Asgard will be built up by the first day of summer. What reward do you claim? We would have it ready for you. The stranger turned from the work he was doing leaving the great horse to pile up the blocks of stone. O father of the gods, he said, O Odin, the reward I shall ask for my work is the sun and the moon and Freya, who watches over the flowers and grasses for my wife. Now when Odin heard this, he was terribly angered, for the price the stranger asked for this work was beyond all prices. He went amongst the other gods, were then building their shining palaces within the great wall and he told them what reward the stranger had asked the god said without the sun and the moon the world will wither away and the goddesses said without Freya all will be gloom in Asgard they would have let the wall remain unbuilt rather than let the stranger have the reward he claimed for building it. But one who was in company of the gods spoke. He was Loki, a being who only half belonged to the gods. His father was the wind giant. Let the stranger build the wall around Asgard, Loki said, and I will find a way to make him give up the hard bargain he has made with the gods. Go to him, and tell him that the wall must be finished by the first day of summer, and that if it is not finished to the last stone on that day, the price he asks will not be given to him.
of the gods went to the stranger and they told him that if the last stone was not laid on the wall on the first day of summer, not soul or money, the sun and the moon, nor Freya would be given him. And now they knew that the stranger was one of the giants. The giant and his great horse piled up the wall more quickly than before. At night, when the giant slept, the horse worked on and on, hauling up stones and laying them on the wall with his great forefeet. And day by day, the wall around Asgard grew higher and higher. But the gods had no joy in seeing that great wall rising higher and higher around their palaces. The giant and his horse would finish the work by the first day of summer, and then he would take the sun and the moon, soul and money, and Freya away with him. But Loki was not disturbed. He kept telling the gods that he would find a way to prevent him from finishing his work, and thus he would make the giant forfeit the terrible price he had led Odin to promise him. It was three days to summer time, and the wall was finished except the gateway. Over the gateway, a stone was to be placed, and the giant, before he went to sleep, bade his horse haul up a great block of stone so that they might put it above the gateway in the morning, and so finished the work two full days before summer. It happened to be a beautiful moonlight night. Svladifair, the giant's great horse, was hauling the largest stone he had ever hauled when he saw a little mare come galloping towards him. The great horse had never seen a pretty mare, and he looked at her with surprise. Svladifair, slave, said the little mare to him, and went frisking past. Svladifair put down the stone he was hauling and called to the little mare. She came back to him. Why do you call me Svladifair slave? said the great horse. Because you have to work day and night for your master, said the little mare. He keeps you working, working, working and never lets you enjoy yourself. You dare not leave that stone down and come play with me? Who told you I dare not do it? said Sladifer. I know you daren't do it, said the little mare, and she kicked up her heels and ran across the moonlit meadow. Now the truth is that Sladifer was tired of working day and night. When he saw the little mare go galloping, he became suddenly discontented. He left the stone he was hauling on the ground. He looked round and saw the little mare looking back at him, and he galloped after her. He did not catch up to the little mare. She went on swiftly before him. On she went over the moonlit meadow, turning and looking back now and again at the great Sladivere, who came heavily after her. Down the mountainside, the mare went.
and Sfladafer, who had now rejoiced in his liberty, and in the freshness of the wind, and in the smell of the flowers, still followed her. With the morning's light they came near a cave, and the little mare went into it. They went through the cave, and Sladafer caught up, on the little mare, and the two went wandering together, the little mare telling Sladifer stories of the dwarfs and the elves. They came to a grove, and they stayed together in it, the little mare playing so nicely with him that the great horse forgot all about time passing. And while they were in the grove, the giant was going up and down, searching for his great horse. He had come to the wall in the morning, expecting to put the stone over the gateway and so finish his work. But the stone that was to be lifted up was not near him. He called for Sladifer, but his great horse did not come. He went to search for him, and he searched all down the mountainside, and he searched as far across the earth as the realm of the giants. But he did not find Sladifer. The gods saw the first day of summer come, and the gateway of the wall, still unfinished. They said to each other, that if it was not finished by the evening, they may not give soul and money to the giant, nor the maiden Freya, to be his wife. The hours of the summer day went past, and the giant did not raise the stone over the gateway. In the evening, he came before them. Your work is not finished, Odin said. You forced us to a hard bargain, and now we need not keep it with you. You shall not be given soul and money, nor the maiden Freya. Only the wall I have built is so strong I would tear it down, said the giant. He tried to throw down one of the palaces, but the gods laid hands on him and thrust him outside the wall he had built. Go and trouble Asgard no more, Odin commanded. Then Loki returned to Asgard. He told the gods how he had transformed himself into a little mare and had led away Svladifer, the giant's great horse. And the gods sat in their golden palaces behind the great wall and rejoiced that their city was now secure and that no enemy could ever enter it or overthrow it. But Odin, the father of the gods, as he sat upon his throne, was sad in his heart, sad that the gods had got their wall built by a trick, that the oaths had been broken, and that a blow had been struck in injustice in Asgard. Iduna and her apples, how Loki but the gods in danger. In Asgard, there was a garden, and in that garden, there grew a tree, and on that tree, there grew shining apples. Thou knowest, O well-loved one, that every day that passes makes us older and brings us to that day 
when we will be bent, feeble, grey-headed, and weak-eyed. But those shining apples that grew in Asgard, they who ate them every day, grew never a day older, for the eating of the apples kept old age away. Uduna, the goddess, tended the tree on which the shining apples grew. None would grow on the tree unless she was there to tend to it. No one but Uduna might pluck the shining apples. Each morning she plucked them and left them in her basket, and every day the gods and goddesses came to her garden that they might eat the shining apples, and so stay forever young. Iduna never went from her garden. All day and every day, she stayed in the garden, or in her golden house beside it. And all day and every day, she listened to Braggy, her husband, tell a story that never had an end. Oh, but a time came, when Adana and her apples were lost as God, and the gods and goddesses felt old age approach them, how all that happened shall be told thee, O well-beloved. Odin, the father of the gods, often went into the land of men to watch over their doings. Once he took Loki with him, Loki the doer of good and the doer of evil. For a long time they went travelling through the world of men. At last they came near Jotunheim, the realm of the giants. It was a bleak and empty region. There were no growing things there, not even trees with berries. There were no birds. There were no animals. As Odin, the father of the gods, and Loki, the doer of good and the doer of evil, went through this region, hunger came upon them. But in the land around they saw nothing they could eat. Loki, running here and running there, came at last upon a herd of wild cattle. Creeping upon them, he caught hold of a young bull and killed him. Then he cut up the meat into strips, he lightened a fire and put the meat on spits to roast. While the meat was being cooked, Odin, the father of the gods, a little way off, sat thinking on the things he had seen in the world of men. Loki made himself busy, putting more and more logs on the fire. At last he called to Odin, and the father of the gods came and sat down near the fire to eat the meal. But when the meat was taken off the cooking spits, and when Odin went to cut it, he found that it was still raw. He smiled at Loki for thinking the meat was cooked, and Loki, troubled that he had made a mistake, put the meat back and put more logs upon the fire. Again Loki took the meat off the cooking spits and called Odin to eat the meal. Odin, when he took the meat, 
that Loki brought him found that it was as raw as it had never been put upon the fire. Is this a trick of yours, Loki, he said. Loki was so angry at the meat being uncooked that Odin saw he was playing no tricks. In his hunger he raged at the meat and raged at the fire. Again he put the meat on the cooking spits and put more logs on the fire. Every hour he could take up the meat, sure that it was now cooked, and every time he took it off, Odin would find the meat was as raw as the first time they took it off the fire. Now Odin knew that the meat must be under some enchantment by the giants. He stood up and went on his way, hungry but strong. Loki, however, would not leave the meat that he had put back on the fire. He would make it to be cooked, he declared, and he would not leave that place hungry. The dawn came, and he took up the meat again. As he was lifting it off the fire, he heard a whir of wings above his head. Looking up, he saw a mighty eagle, the largest eagle that ever appeared in the sky. The eagle circled round and round and came above Loki's head. Canst thou not cook thy food? The eagle screamed to him. I cannot cook it, said Loki. I will cook it for thee if thou wilt give me a share, screamed the eagle. Come then and cook it for me, said Loki. The eagle circled round until he was above the fire. Then flapping his great wings over it, he made the fire blaze and blaze. A heat that Loki had never felt before came from the burning logs. In a minute he drew the meat from the spits and found it was well cooked. My share, my share, give me my share, the eagle screamed at him. He flew down and seizing a large piece of meat, instantly devoured it. He seized on another piece. Piece after piece he devoured until it looked as Loki would be left with no meat for his meal. As the eagle seized on the last piece, Loki became angry indeed. Taking up the spit on which the meat had been cooked, he struck the eagle. There was a clang as if he had struck some metal. The wood on the spit did not come away. It stuck to the breast of the eagle. But Loki did not let go his hold on the spit. Suddenly the eagle rose up in the air. Loki, who held to the spit that was fastened to the eagle's breast, was drawn up with him. Before he knew what had happened, Loki was miles and miles up in the air, and the eagle was flying with him towards Juttenharm, the realm of the giants. They passed over the river that divides Juttenheim from Midgard, the world of men. And now Loki saw a terrible place beneath him, a land of ice and rock. Great mountains were there, and they lighted by neither sun nor moon, but by columns of fire 
thrown up now and again through cracks in the earth or out of the peaks of the mountains. Over a great iceberg, the eagle hovered. Suddenly, he shook the spit from his breast and Loki fell down on the ice. The eagle screamed out to him, Thou art in my power at last, O thou most cunning of all dwellers in Asgard. The eagle left Loki there and flew within a crack in the mountain. Miserable indeed was Loki upon that iceberg. The cold was deadly. He could not die there, for he was one of the dwellers in Asgard, and death might not come to him that way. He might not die, but he felt bound to that iceberg with chains of cold. After a day, his captor came to him, not as an eagle this time, but in his own form, Thiazzi the giant. Wilt thou leave thine iceberg, Loki, he said, and return to thy pleasant place in Asgard? Thou thou'st delight in Asgard, although only by one half dost thou belong to the gods. Thy father, Loki, was the wind giant. Oh, that I might leave this iceberg, Loki said, with the tears freezing on his face. Thou'st my leave when thou showest thy ready to pay thy ransom to me, said the Azzi. Thou thou'lt will have to me the shiny apples that Iduna keeps in her basket. I cannot get Iduna's apples for thee, the Azzi, said Loki. Then stay upon the iceberg, said the Azzi the giant. He went away and left Loki there with the terrible winds, buffeting him as with blows of a hammer. When Thiassi came again and spoke to him about his ransom, Loki said, There is no way of getting the shining apples from Iduna. There must be some way, O cunning Loki, said the giant. Iduna, although she guards well the shining apples, is simple-minded, said Loki. It may be that I shall be able to get her to go outside the wall of Asgard. If she goes, she will bring her shining apples with her, for she never lets them go out of her hand, except when she gives them to the gods and goddesses to eat. Make it so that she will go beyond the wall of Asgard, said the giant. If she goes outside of the wall, I shall get the apples from her. Swear by the world tree that thou would lure Edina beyond the wall of Asgard. Swear it, Loki and I shall let thee go. I swear it by Yggdrasi, the world tree, and that I will lure Adina beyond the wall of Asgard, if thou wilt take me off this iceberg, said Loki. Then Thiassi changed himself into a mighty eagle, and taking Loki in his talons, he flew with him over the stream that divides Jotunheim, the realm of the giants, from Midgard. The world of men. He left Loki on the ground of Midgard, and Loki then went on his way to Asgard. Now Odin had already returned, and he had told the dwellers in Asgard of Loki's attempt to cook the enchanted meat. All laughed to think that Loki 
had been left hungry for all his cunning. Then he came into Asgard looking so famished, they thought it was